0: Good morning. Glad to have that taken care of. Hey, the last uh, couple of Sundays, we've been looking at discipleship, and this Sunday is no different. We started in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And with unfinished disciples, Jesus called them to make disciples. And then... We went back to the calling of the disciples in the first place. We saw that it was a call to follow Jesus. And this morning, I want to take another step in the subject of discipleship and bring to our attention the fact that disciples are not only disciple-makers and followers— They're leaders. Disciples are leaders. And that's not something that we immediately think of because sometimes we can't reconcile, we can't do the math of following and leading. They seem like they don't mix, it's an either or. You're either a leader or you're a follower. But I think that's a misconception, and that's what I want us to think about this morning as we consider the larger picture of following Jesus and leading, and leading. And I'm I'm thinking I'm going to talk about it this Sunday, and I'm going to talk about it again because it's really a big subject. But this morning, I want us to think about followers as leaders. You know, in uh, the last 30 years, because uh, I happen to remember the 80s, and in the 80s, there wasn't a lot written on leadership, and now, (laughs) oh my goodness, leadership books abound. Everyone is an expert on leadership. There is a glut on the subject of leadership. What new could be said about leadership? I've noticed, of late, that on the subject of leadership, leadership experts are talking about leaders as followers. Isn't that interesting? A new wrinkle. A new wrinkle. Who doesn't want to be a leader? And of course, we need good followers. I think great leaders are first Great followers. I know just, and I'm going to be very brief here, but I learned accountability from following. Very important. Even leaders have to be accountable. If they aren't, they're tyrants. And if they're tyrants, they really aren't leaders, they're rulers. Self discipline. I learned self discipline from following. Self-discipline is very important. Leaders have to be self-disciplined. They do. If they aren't, they're tyrants. Yeah, they're rulers. They don't really lead. They dictate. We call them dictators. That's right. You know, another thing I learned from following is I learned how to put others ahead of myself, and I also learn how to serve ideals, values, and virtues that are bigger than me, and will always be bigger than me. Leaders have to understand that too, but if they don't, Yeah, you know the rest of the story. They're not leaders. They're tyrants. In the Bible, prominent leaders follow first. Joshua was a great leader. A great leader. And he followed Moses for 40 years. And Elijah and Peter and the rest of the disciples followed Jesus. Some of the great leaders are first Followers. I think we need to learn how to follow and be good followers before we can be good leaders and great leaders. But that does raise the question, I know that we talk about following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, but I just finished talking about Peter following Jesus, Elisha following Elijah Joshua following Moses. I mean, they had real flesh and blood leaders that could say, hey, get up and hit, let's hit the road, you know. Hey, don't go over there. Come back here. It was, you know, there was exercising of leadership. Sometimes we use the language of following and the language of discipleship, but then we get kind of lost in the reality that we don't have a flesh and blood leader. Remind me of an article that um, I read this week. In fact, I, I read it precisely because it talked about, the heading said, the greatest leader of all. And I knew that the article was talking about Jesus. And what was interesting to me is it was in Forbes magazine. I didn't expect, you know, an article in Forbes, maybe I'm misinformed, but um I didn't expect an article in Forbes magazine, which I kind of associate, you know, with, with power leadership and business and stuff, to, to emphasize Jesus is the greatest leader of all. That kind of caught me off guard, so I wanted to read that. It was by Jeff Loftus, and he, he, he interviewed James Martin. And James Martin has written about Jesus because James Martin is a Jesuit priest, and Jesuit priests tend to talk about Jesus. And he talked about Jesus, and so he interviewed James Martin because James Martin also believes that Jesus was the greatest leader of all. And so at the end of the thing, Loftus says, This is the end of the interview and the article stuff that Loftus talked about. And Loftus says, you know, I agree with you. Jesus was the greatest leader of all. And then he said, just think, and he took the reader back to the triumphal entry, the final week of Jesus' life, and how the disciples, I mean, think about it. Jesus is being praised and and lauded as king or in kingly language and lordly language. And the disciples are just, you know, they're elevated too. This had to be the, the highest day of their lives to that point, at least as followers of Jesus. I mean, if nothing else, they knew they had followed the right guy on that day. And then as the week unfolds, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is ridiculed and beaten and wounded and crucified, and the disciples, they, they do scatter, but Loftus says they hung in there because of Jesus' leadership. And then James Martin, had, well, actually, I got to tell you the last thing he said. He said, uh, and then he says, I'm pretty sure that in all of history, no CEO has ever left a legacy that withstood his own execution as a criminal. I'm thinking, duh. <laughs> a legacy that flourished beyond all imagining. And then James Martin, this is the last line. This is the last line of the article. James Martin says, that's all true. Of course, it helps your cause when you rise from the dead. And I thought, <laughs> bingo. We serve, we follow, we live for a risen Savior. And in that sense, Paul becomes especially important. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the first and second verse, he says, follow me because I follow Christ. That's what he says. Follow me because I follow Christ. And then he says in verse 2, and you can read this. This is our reading for the mornings, so look it up. Yeah, he says, mimic me as I mimic Christ. But that means, follow me as I follow Christ. And then in the second verse, he says, I commend you. This, by the way, in chapter 11 is kind of like a yeah, but. There's kind of a yeah, but coming. But he starts off by saying, I commend you because you remember me in everything, which means that you keep what I tell you. You keep the things that I am to you in mind, and then the the real clincher. He says after that, he says, he says, you keep the traditions, and he's he's talking about the things that he has passed on to them, which had been passed on to him. Look at verse twenty three. In verse twenty three, this becomes even clearer. He says. I've passed on to you what I myself have received from the Lord. And what I'm trying to say is, this is like a chain of custody. You know, like in these big trials, they always want to cast suspicion on the chain of evidence, like, like blood that was taken from the scene. You know, we want to see a chain of custody. I understand that. Paul's talking about a chain of custody that goes back to Jesus himself. We have a chain of custody in the teachings of Jesus that are embedded in the Gospels, which also tell us about his life you got to remember, and I know this will kind of blow your mind, but Paul actually wrote 1 Corinthians before the first gospel was written. Not everybody had a gospel like we have gospels today. But there was a chain of custody. They actually depended on the things that Jesus said and did. They taught that. You know why? Because they're following him. you care about you treasure i mean like in the persecution of diocletian in 300 ish very opening 303 what you preserve i mean if the if the if the roman emperor is trying to root out christians and root out people with christian stuff you know i mean how do you know a christian they look suspiciously like everybody else. I don't know if you know that. They do. How do you know? Well, if you find stuff on them, you know, like crosses. People didn't wear crosses back then. And scriptures. And I'll tell you, you can find out pretty quickly what people are willing to die for by the stuff they save, especially when the stuff could get them killed. And they hid the Scriptures and they preserved it because it was precious to them because it was a chain of command from Jesus himself of what he said and did. Because they follow him. And that's very important. Paul is saying, follow me. He really is. But when he says, follow me, what is he saying also? He's saying, I can lead you to Jesus. I'm a trustworthy guide. And that's the real emphasis that I want to lay on you this morning is followers make followers. Followers make followers. Now, wait a minute. Let me just explain a little. We never, this is a, I don't know if it's a dirty secret. If I called it a dirty secret, that would be clickbait. You know, that's when you would really be, I'd get your attention. But it is kind of a secret that followers are leaders as long as they're followers. Leaders to Jesus. Jesus. You stop leading to Jesus if you stop following him. You start leading somewhere else. You see my point? You never want to stop following. If you stop following, you stop leading. Followers make followers because they never quit lead- leading because they never quit following. Did that, is that clearer? you're confused. You know this this really goes back to Jesus himself. The Gospel of John embodies this very clearly. This was what I I spent a big part of my life on. This was what I wrote my dissertation about in the Gospel of John. And it's you don't notice it. You know if you start reading it at verse 1 and you read from left to right all the way to the last verse of the Gospel of John, that's when you notice it. And and Jesus constantly says He's been sent, and he refers to God the Father as the one who sent him. And this really caught my attention. And there was a there was a a, a law of agency, a law of representation among the Jews. It, it developed even out of the Old Testament, and it really started with the you know like if I send someone as a messenger, a good messenger says exactly what I want them to tell, right? I mean, you're not a good messenger if when you get to where you're supposed to go, and then you say something you wanted to say, and not something the person who sent you wanted you to say. Well, then agency evolved out of, or came out of necessity, out of messengership, because he didn't have email or even standard, you know, this was their standard mail: walking or riding a, a, a beast of burden or a horse, they would deliver messages. But an agent is really a messenger empowered to represent the person who sent him. This is really important stuff. You could look a little perkier. Let me show you how this works with Jesus because there is agency in the the gospel of John. And I think John wants us to see and realize Jesus was an agent of the heavenly father. He represents him perfectly. So Jesus says things like like this. And when you write a dissertation, this kind of stuff just sticks with you. He said, uh, I come not in my own name, but in the name of him who sent me. I seek not my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. I do nothing on my own. All that I do is on the authority of the one who sent me. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say things like this. He'll say, believe in me. If you believe in me, you believe not in me, but the one who sent me. If you've seen me, you've seen not me, but the one who sent me. I and my Father are one. Now when he starts talking, in the law of agency, what Jesus is saying is I am a faithful representation of what my Father has told me to say. In fact, he'll say things like, My teaching is not my own. I speak not on my own. I speak only what I have heard the Father say. And all of these things line up with Jewish agents because a Jewish agent or representative, one who is authorized to represent the one who sent him, all of that begins with this saying, the one who is sent, is as the one who sins. The one sent is as the one who sins. And there is no agency for wrongdoing, and most importantly, an agent always seeks the benefit or advantage of the one who sent him. In other words, if an agent steps outside of his commission or his authorization, then he is no longer representing the one who sent him. He loses his authority. He's representing only himself. And any crimes or problems he incurs, he incurs them to himself. He's not under the authority of the one who sent him. In other words... Jesus was the perfect follower of the Father, and that is why he reveals the Father perfectly. He was an agent of the Lord, and that's why he could say, all authority has been given to me. Now, in that sense, Jesus leads us to the heavenly Father. Jesus leads us to the knowledge of God. Jesus opens us to understanding God in a way that is revealed only in him because he's a faithful agent, or you could say a faithful follower. And that's what we're to be. I want us to realize that if we follow Jesus, we will be leaders, but We never want to be leaders. We always want to be followers. It's like leading depends on following. And that's because in leadership, we follow a person. That's our destination. Here, let me give you a quick definition of a leader. Leaders are people who do the job of going somewhere and taking others with them. Leaders are people who do the job of going somewhere and taking others with them. That's why Plato in his Republic used the analogy of a helmsman, what we'd call a sea captain. But his ship was the ship of state and not a real boat. He was talking about the leader who really steers the ship of state. Every captain has a destination. He navigates and he motivates and so it is with leadership today it's a very simple picture but that's where we start with understanding leadership except that our destination is not a place it's a person our navigation is not a map it's a message and our motivation it's not gasoline or helium or wind or electricity our motivation is a heart if you will, a mindset that's set on Jesus Christ. That's why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus all the time. He's our destination. He's our goal. Do you know, many people don't have goals. They don't make goals. They don't have destinations. They just, like, have fun, or they want to experience life to the fullest. They want to be happy, but they don't always have good goals, good destinations. It's like Alice in Wonderland when she came to that juncture and she met the Cheshire cat. She said, tell me please which way I ought to go from here. The cat replies, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. I don't much care, said Alice. And then the Cheshire said, then it doesn't matter which way you go. And sometimes we lead our lives that way. And yet those who are nearest to us, those who look up to us, they're following us. And sometimes we don't even know where we're going. We keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Seneca said, our plans fail because they have no aim. When a captain, speaking of a captain of a ship, again, it was a very common analogy in antiquity. When a captain does not know what harbor he's making for, no wind is the right wind. parents are leaders. What difference does it make if you have a destination when it comes to raising your children? Some just, you know, they know that when the kids get to a certain age, I got to get them out of the house. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. So, you know, getting them out of there, just getting getting rid of them (laughs) is not as easy as you think. I'm being a little facetious. Some of us want our kids to grow up so they'll be happy, be successful. Uh, That starts to change the direction a little bit. The harbor is a little different than just getting them out. Now I have some focus. But what if we want our children to be disciples? That adds a whole new dimension to the way we see ourselves as leaders in our homes. But we've gotta see ourselves as leaders. We're supposed to be adults. If we don't act like adults, how are kids gonna become adults? If we don't make adult decisions and do adult things, our kids can't make adult decisions and do adult things. But how much more, how much, you know, I, I realize adolescence is a phase of rebellion only because kids have to distance themselves if they're to embrace what we want to bequeath them on their own and say, I own this, not just because you want to give it to me, but because I believe in it. We understand that, but we still have to give them, bequeath them, set before them a true vision, a clear vision. So that if they push it away, then they'll come to see it as authentic and then embrace it. And we as parents, we've got to be authentic. We've got to be genuine because all the do as I say and not as I do stuff just ends up on the cutting room floor. It doesn't make it. They may doubt us. They may question us. They may rebel against us, but if there's an authenticity in our message and who we are, we bequeath them something that we are. And they'll never abandon us if we follow Jesus Christ. If we want to make them disciples, be followers of Jesus Christ, bona fide, real-to-life followers of Jesus. I know Jesus was perfect, but parents have to ask forgiveness. Maybe that's not Jesus Jesus had to do, but that's a part of being a follower of Jesus because Jesus was about forgiveness, wasn't he? It was a part of the prayer he taught us. We have to do those things that Jesus passed on to his disciples that have been passed on to us to follow him. But I tell you, if we're good followers and we keep our eyes on him, we'll be, we'll be good leaders to those that matter to us. Our navigation, not a map, but a message. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I know it says, uh, imitate me, but that's, that was just the language of Corinth, if you will. That was the language of the philosophers in schools. In effect, he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, there's a message that we keep true to. That's what Paul is saying in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11. There's a message that we keep true to. He commends them for keeping the traditions. That message is the gospel. But in verse 1, there's a message that we make true with our lives. And that's what Paul is teaching us. He's not saying it in words, but it's like the, the, me- the means or the method is the message. When he says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's saying we make true the message. Disciples, if you will, embody the gospel That makes a picture worth a thousand words. Paul didn't have a flesh and blood Jesus to follow. He navigated with the principles and values of the gospel. We have the Holy Spirit who helps navigate that as well. We have Jesus Christ within us. But if you talk in practical terms... It comes down to the values, the principles. That's what we abide by. That's what we adhere to. And I really think strong leaders are principled leaders. Our principles are those of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I say, Lord, it's interesting. Uh, I've been reading a lot. I, I've had reference books on my shelf about Greece and Rome, and I, I just the last year and a half, I've decided to read them all, and uh, it's 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 fun. It's going good. I get some juicy little things that come up. I've been reading now uh, Dio Cassius's History of the Roman Empire, and I was reading about Augustus. He's Octavian, later acclaimed. Uh, Augustus. And uh, he defeated Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium in 31. And in a sense, then he was supreme ruler of the world. You know, he was like the new Alexander the Great. He had a choice to make. Was he going to return power to the Roman people, give them a democracy, or was he going to be a monarch, a benevolent monarch? And Mycenaeus, one of his his chief aides and counselors said this to him. He says, If you, of your own accord, do all that you would wish another to do if he became your ruler, you will err in nothing and succeed in everything. And in consequence, you will find your life most happy and utterly free from danger. Boy, that sounded a lot like the Golden Rule to me. That sounded like the very teaching of Jesus. But what caught my ear is that he says, Rule as you would want to be ruled. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you want to be loved. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Powerful stuff. So plain, so basic that sometimes we really look past it but it's at the heart of the gospel. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, he says in there, the love of Christ controls us. In 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. We read it at weddings often, love. Paul said, I'm nothing without love. That's our starting point. We never graduate. We never advance beyond the love of God that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ and in turn showing that love to others. That's very much a part of our message. And we are false in our following if we're not loving like Jesus Christ. That is at the heart. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son That's at the heart of the gospel. And our motivation, too. My sentence to Octavian said this also to him. Whatever you wish, this is related to us by Dio, of course. Whatever you wish your subjects to think and do, this you should always say and do yourself. And then these words, this really caught my eye. In this way, you will be educating them. Aha! There is education in your example. And that is integrity. You know, the great Gandhi. A young mother brought her child to Gandhi and she said, would you tell him to stop eating sweets? Gandhi was silent for an almost awkward amount of time and he said, Come back in two days. In two days, a young mother brought her young son again. Gandhi took the boy aside, but within earshot of the mother, and said to the boy, Stop eating sweets. And then gave him back to his mother. And the mother said, That's it? Gandhi said, That's it. Well, she said... If that's it, why didn't you tell him that two days ago? And Gandhi said, I still like sweets. (laughs) He had to quit eating sweets before he could tell the boy to stop eating sweets. President Eisenhower, General Eisenhower, would put a piece of string on a table as an example of leadership. Showing how easy it is to pull it, but how difficult to push. Leaders pull. Followers do not make leaders, they make followers because they never stop following Jesus Christ. A young woman, no matter what your rank, no matter what your title, you stop following Jesus and you stop pointing people to a person and to a message and you have no heart for it no motivation a young woman applied to college one of the important questions on her college application was this are you a leader she was afraid that if she told the truth they wouldn't accept her application and she'd never hear from them again so she said no which was true she eventually got a letter back and they said we have 1452 leaders being admitted to college this year we thought it a necessity that we have one follower And you are that one. <laughs> Followers make great leaders. Will you stand? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to be up here afterward as long with pastoral staff and elders. You know, maybe the Lord has touched you in, in some way this morning. Calling you to deeper following, deeper discipleship. If you'd like to pray with us about that, we invite you to come. Heavenly Father, When we follow you, it leads to things we can't even begin to imagine, things you're going to do in our lives, things you're going to call us to do, people that you're going to call us to be because you're going to make us and turn us into that person as we follow you. Give us courage, trust, give us faith in you. May we follow you In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you.